Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I'm going to start the podcast this week with a gambling story because I actually did some real live in-person casino gambling last <sighs> weekend uh, for the first time since the pandemic started. Uh, a friend and I spent Friday night at Ocean Casino in Atlantic City, where after dinner and drinks, we sat down at an ultimate Texas Hold'em table. Uh, for anyone unfamiliar, it's not really poker. It's just a poker-based table game where you're trying to beat the house and you're hoping to make the occasional huge hand that pays a big multiplier. Well, I started out doing okay, then went very cold and lost all the money I came willing to lose. Uh, Others at the table suggested I buy back in, but I explained responsible gambling practices to them (laughs) like a total nerd, and I sat out. Uh, My friend did well. He ended up uh, in the black by about half as much as I was in the red, uh, which meant brunch the next morning was his treat. Uh, But there was another guy at the table who just couldn't stop catching cards. He made one full house after another and turned $300 into about $1,500 in like an hour and a half. Um, He was a nice guy, not being a jerk about it, uh, but it's an interesting test of one's ability not to go on tilt when I'm here having lousy luck and someone else is on fire. Um, Anyway, John, I did my part to help Ocean's revenue figures for February. You're welcome for contributing a dollar or two of tax revenue to your state's coffers. Uh, Spend it wisely. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for that, Eric. And uh, I must say that the modified team event version you played is a good one. I say modified because it wasn't that you and your friend or better still the lucky dude at the table agreed to split winnings or losings equally, but you gave yourself an out, as it were, by having a chance to root for your friend as well. Hey, and it paid off as a free brunch as a reward for not chasing good money after bed. So good on you. Uh, you know, that said, you buried the lead. I mean, every time I go anywhere in the COVID era, and I've been to at least Oh, 20 casinos and racetracks in this era. People want to know what the lay of the land was like. Was everybody masked up? Did you notice the smoking? Was it a normal sized crowd? You know, we're like scouts sent out ahead with a mission <laughs> to report back to the, to the citizenry, Eric. And so uh, I'll need you to do your part. Sure. You know, when I I thought going into the weekend that I might end up writing an article for Monday about it with thinking that the what's the COVID situation like mm. at casinos right now would be my angle. And then there just wasn't much to it because uh, at Ocean Casino in Atlantic City, uh, as of uh, what was Friday, February uh, 4th or 5th or whatever that was, uh, COVID, COVID is over. COVID does not exist there. Um, the masks were very few and far between. And it was mostly it was mostly just the dealers wearing them and not even all the dealers. There, there doesn't seem to be any rule that the dealers have to wear a mask. Most of them chose to. Um, but almost no customers did. And, you know, I am a, I have generally been a when in doubt, wear a mask guy uh, Mm -hmm. throughout most of this. Mm -hmm. I'm at the point where with the COVID numbers being what they are, I don't even like uh, give anyone a dirty look for not wearing a mask at this point. I I, I think we've reached the point where it's kind of okay to let the mask go as long as the numbers don't come up back up and some new variant uh, doesn't uh, cause a change. At at this point, I think it's uh, okay to relax a little. And certainly everyone at Ocean Casino was there with the intention of uh, living in a post-COVID world for a night. 
Yeah, well, they are gamblers after all, Eric. But uh, <laughs> right. yeah, it's interesting that this week in particular, you know, you mentioned this because, you know, you'll notice a lot of governors are relaxing all kinds of mandates and, you know, everything has supposedly been specifically about the science, just about the science. And like, I think the science says that if you wanted to go a conservative path for the last two years, which is, you know, is reasonable, there's there's debate about it, but it's it's one way to go. I think you would probably wait another month or two. But I think that the public prevailing sentiment is so strong to say, listen, we're done. You tell me what you (laughs) want to tell me. We're done. And so there is reaction by the politicians that like, okay, you know, the, uh, you know, the cat's out of the bag and the cats are not going back in the bag. And so we better not try and keep them in there. We're going to get scratched, you know, so so it's for a terrible metaphor, but uh, so (laughs) you're, you're on a leading wave of something, I think. And I'm not, again, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, Not that I think it's crazy, just that I think if you're just sticking with the exact numbers, you'd be waiting a little bit longer than this. So clearly the public's, uh, you know, being tired of the whole thing is really leading the way. Science not be damned, but be sidelined, I think. Yeah, I hope I hope it is only sidelined in the sense Mm -hmm. that uh, my my position is. You're done with the mask. Fine. I'm, I'm kind of just about done with the mask, uh, depending on the situation. Feel free to be done with the masks and ready to move on with your life. But be willing to put the mask back on if things uh, reverse. That's it's the people who are I'm done with COVID. Oh, really? What if some really actually dangerous variant happens to come along uh, and, uh, and and we want uh, we want to be safe about it? You're done no matter what. Yeah, there are some people out there who are done no matter what. And those are those are the ones that I can't quite get on board with. But done for now. Sure. Why not? As far as uh, at least where I live, uh, I think it's uh, uh, reasonably safe to uh, to live your life. Yeah, but I think you're you know, finally you're making an important point here because there are people who are going to be listening and saying like, oh, I wasn't going to go to a casino in Atlantic City because I'm afraid there's going to be so many restrictions. I won't have any fun. And they're mm-hmm. going to say, great, I'm going this weekend. And other people <laughs> are going to say, oh, wait a minute. I I'm finally considering, you know, dipping my toe in and trying it out. But I'm hearing that, you know, it's all over and nobody's wearing a mask. I don't want to go. And that's fine. Right. And there's going to be people on both sides of it. But I think that information is valuable to each group because they want to know. That's why I say they always want to know what's the deal. It's not all like, you know, I want to go in in a no mask zone or I want to go where there's all kinds of restrictions. There's different groups that like each one, but they they prefer each lane. And I think so. You're helping out there. So Ocean will add some customers and maybe lose a couple. (laughs) Yeah. I did not realize I would be performing such a valuable service to our millions and millions of listeners, (laughs) but uh, here we go. That's what happened. All right. Well, thank you to uh, all of those millions and millions for joining us for episode number 180 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 179 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Unlike my night out in Atlantic City, listening to this podcast won't cost you a thing. So the least you can do is subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Yeah, and coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by all-time Gamble On guest appearance record holder Dan Bach. He's a senior VP of operations for Roto Grinders and Scores on Odds. It's Super Bowl week, so we'll ask Dan for his thoughts on who will win the game, of course, what props he likes, and whether this will be the biggest event for betting in U.S. sports gambling history. But first, it's been a kind of a grindingly busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Gambling. 
As John just said, it's Super Bowl week, so let's start our news segment there. The American Gaming Association continued its annual tradition of projecting how much betting there will be on the big game. And in a release issued Tuesday, the AGA predicted a 78% increase over a year earlier in betting handle, that's both regulated and unregulated together, and a 35% increase in the number of people who will be betting. One very interesting statistic based on the AGA's polling is how many people consider it important to bet in a legal environment. In 2021, just 11% of respondents considered that important. This year, the number shot up to 76%. Uh, The AGA was not the only organization crunching Super Bowl numbers this week. Our sister site, Sports Handle, put out some noteworthy statistics. Specifically, our colleagues Jill Dorson and Chris Altruda put this together projecting that if the home states of the two Super Bowl teams, California and Ohio, had mature legal betting markets, they would combine to generate $400 million in Super Bowl handle, $300 million in California and $100 million in Ohio. Of course, Ohio recently legalized sports betting and should have it by next year's Super Bowl, whereas California, which plays host to Sunday's game, might still be a few years away. Uh, John, thoughts on any of these numbers? And With Arizona hosting next year and becoming the first legal sports betting state to host a Super Bowl, Mm. what would be the ideal two teams for Super Bowl 57 from a betting handle perspective? Yeah, I I think uh, for the first part, you know, predicted a 78% increase over a year earlier in betting handle, regulated and unregulated combined. That kind of jumps out at me. I can't figure out, is that a huge new cohort that will bet now that it's legal in their state? and or that the legal market isn't making much of a dent on the illegal one. I can't get my head around that one. But as for ideal teams, uh, the two worst teams in the NFL last five years, and they share the same pitiful 22 and 59 record, are New Jersey's own Jets and Giants. <laughs> yeah, the Jets are 1-0 in the Super Bowl era, winning big game three over the Baltimore Colts in the late 60s. Uh, huge market, 50-year wait. Huge handle. I mean, that's a Giants fans. Uh, and I know this market, they have convinced themselves of waiting more than a decade or so to get back to the Super Bowl is some sort of real hardship. So they too would produce a massive number of, of bets. Uh, you know, beyond that, the teams with the so-called subway alumni fans, not even from the marketplaces that root for them. That would be, of course, you know, the Packers, Cowboys, uh, Steelers, Chiefs, and Patriots, I would say. Some prefer to call them front runners, of course. <laughs> right. Um, So I'm kind of of the same mind as you in terms of picking these teams, but I didn't quite go with the two New York teams. I feel like maybe that doesn't uh, spread out the national handle quite enough. So I I was thinking for the absolute ideal game, you do want one New York team uh, where the fans back home can can legally bet. Uh, So while there is almost no way in hell they'll make it to Super Bowl 57. <laughs> Give me the Jets uh, as the AFC representative. I, sure. I mean, can you imagine the betting action in both uh, New York and New Jersey uh, if the yeah. Jets get there? Um, but I say put him in against that so-called America's team, the Cowboys, yeah, sure. uh, who have fans in every legal betting state and uh, fans who will make the trip to Phoenix and bet at the game. So I think Cowboys, Jets, and Arizona is about the biggest handle scenario you can come up with. But there's a case to include the Giants, uh, the Bills, uh, Maybe the Bears with betting legal in Illinois. Those are all uh, teams teams with betting in their home states that uh, have some uh, pretty passionate fan bases. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of those numbers, the amount of projected betting this year I didn't find at all surprising. 
what I did find noteworthy was that percentage of people who think it's important to bet legally. Uh, that's that's a really big deal. That tells me we've crossed a tipping point in terms of mindset, in terms of awareness of legal betting. You know, it's it spread to enough states, enough people get the difference between the sports books they see ads for on TV and the offshores and the bookies and all that. The great majority get it now, which I don't think was the case a couple of years ago. Um, and of course, you know, the regulated books are far from infallible. Um, if you're a professional sports better who's getting limited by these books and you can still make more money with the offshores, I get it. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a small subset that might feel differently than uh, the those who polled at 76% there. For the recreational better, it just makes so much more sense to use the legal books, assuming you have access in your state. So I, I'm really happy to see that 76% number on people who are prioritizing using those regulated books. All right, I'll I'll uh, I'll buy that. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but uh, yeah, it's it's like it's true. Uh, people, uh, the average person, right? We we deal with professional gamblers and other people. They're not average people. Hell, we're not average people, but uh, <laughs> normal people. Uh, yeah, they they do think a certain way, and I think yeah, that once they realize, look, these are the options I have in my state to bet legally. Why would I? Why would I bet some other way? It makes no sense. All right. Well, uh, we go from one story that was partially about huge betting handle to another. Our second story this week takes us to New York State, where it is now official. The Empire State, in its first partial month of mobile wagering, set a new record for single month, single state betting handle. The final number, including a modest amount of retail betting, is $1.65 billion, breaking the record of $1.3 billion set in New Jersey in October. And I would pat myself on the back right now for projecting after the numbers from the first nine days came out that New York was going to beat New Jersey in January, but we haven't seen New Jersey's numbers for January yet. They'll come out next week. So it isn't officially official yet that New York is number one, um, but it feels pretty safe to assume New Jersey isn't topping 1.65 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, New York almost set the revenue record. Uh, New Jersey's November still holds the record there. Uh, and New York did set the tax revenue record with $61.2 million going to the state, leaving former Governor Cuomo's half billion dollar annual projection in play and then some. Uh, one other New York item to mention. Arguments were heard in a New York Court of Appeals case Tuesday over whether daily fantasy sports should be legal in New York. And of course, the skill versus luck debate was raised with one of the lawyers dismissing comparisons between DFS and the stock market by saying, no one has a job betting on fantasy sports. <laughs> hey, why let the facts get in the way of your argument, right? Uh, John, comments on the New York sports betting market already bumping your beloved New Jersey to number two and any additional insights on the future of DFS in New York? Yeah, I'll start with DFS in New York, which is sort of the marijuana of the uh, gaming industry in the sense that it's mm -hmm. kind of legal, kind of not. Nobody right. does anything about it if you do it. DraftKings and FanDuel do it. Um, now, I've covered this saga on and off for more than five years, and which, of course, has not cracked my top 10 of uh, all-time sagas in my career, but it's sneaking into the top 20, maybe. Uh, so when the DF Giants are directly involved, it's a little awkward, right? This was a time when the state was against them and New York, and New York, and the DFS guys had the smoking gun. The recent news at the time, that it was found that like 1% of the players were winning something like 90% of the money. If that's not a game of skill, I don't know what is, but that was potentially a Pyrrhic victory for DK and FD. That's uh, P-Y-R-R-H-I-C, Pyrrhic victory nice. for DraftKings and Fandle, uh, because then you're shouting to potential new players from the mountaintop that you have no chance. 
But now the, now the state is on the side of the uh, DFS companies. So I was a little surprised that their lawyers didn't make that particular argument. I mean, it, it seems like an absolute winner. You know, the state threw NASCAR under the bus, by the way. Because one judge who seemed open-minded overall, he found one of their contests in the weekend before online, and he's sure there's no skill at all in that. You're just totally guessing, you know, who might win the race. So, and. And as for the infamous, yeah, no one has a job playing fantasy sports, which has blown up my Twitter feed, uh, you know, as opposed to, say, a stock fund manager. I think it was the same judge who had the NASCAR idea that he gave sort of a wink and a nod reply of, oh, you know, some of these cars are pretty good. You know, it was in the realm of like, honey, these chocolate chip cookies are so good. I swear you could sell them for a living, you know, but neither of you really believe it. Still, it's a nice thing to say. And you really do like the cookies. I mean, probably or at least you were like her, either one. But um, as far as the likelihood here. Uh, Rob Rusborough is an attorney and the foremost expert on this stuff. Uh, he said last year's 3-3 tie included a DFS opposing judge no longer involved, and a seventh judge has come on to replace the recused one in the previous case. From his observations, I think the line is DFS minus one judge, meaning a 4-3 win for DFS is most likely. But again, DraftKings and FanDuel are operating anyway, so I'm not sure how much it matters. But uh, as far as the betting handle, yeah, I tip my cap to New York, New York. It is a little ironic that their explosion out of the gate gained so much momentum from New Jersey, where for three and a half years, any sports fan not living under a rock knew you could bet legally in the Garden State. So there was a lot of movement of money across the Hudson River. But I think many casual bettors, especially, say, in Queens, Long Island, uh, they don't use the illegal markets. And they knew about this betting opportunity. They've been reading the headline. They just bided their time and then went hog wild when the bell finally went off. Yeah, definitely. There was not the learning curve in New York that oh, no. there was in a lot of other states. They were ready. They were waiting. They knew what they wanted to do. And then the floodgates opened. Um, you know, more more records are going to fall in the months to come, although the January numbers are slightly bloated by sign up promotion wagering. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should give it until one of like the spring months, like April or May or something to get a more fair one to one comparison of just how much bigger New York will be than New Jersey in a typical month. Um, and of course, we await those uh, Jersey January numbers next week to see whether New York took a significant bite out of their handle. But I think mm-hmm. our expectations are probably not that significant. Um, but yeah, this DFS thing. However, this court case, <laughs> case ends up and uh, very interesting to get your insight that DFS is, is the favorite here. I, was, I wasn't sure. So that's uh, good to know. I, I'm just flabbergasted that one of the lead lawyers in the case would make a statement that blatantly false. No one has a job betting on fantasy sports. I mean, can you really be living and breathing this case 40 hours a week and not know that there are DFS pros? Are, are you that poorly prepared? Or are you lying and hoping to pull off a successful gaslighting that helps you win your case? Um, Seems like the latter is more likely than the former, but um, we certainly know that there are people who make their living playing DFS. Anyone paying attention has known about them for at least seven or eight years now. And um, it just blows my mind that there's an effort going on still to make it illegal to play DFS in a state where it's legal now to bet on sports. Um, I I know that DraftKings and FanDuel were disingenuous about whether DFS was a form of gambling and you're kind of trying to punish them for that. But at this point, move on, I say. seems like just a stupid case to spend money seeing through at this point. 
Well, I mean, there's seven judges uh, who are listening to that lawyer say that none of them said, what are you talking about? There, right. you know, there may only be a few thousand people in New York that make a living at this, but there are thousands. I mean, don't say nobody can do it. Right. Uh, nobody said that. And remember, most of these judges heard this case last fall and, and, and made a vote on it. And then they got all kinds of more paperwork, you know, explaining either way. And the other thing of note is that uh, it's agreed that in 1895, it was ruled that poker is not a game of skill in New York state. And that is still causing all kinds of headaches in terms of not only online poker getting legalized, which is probably going to take a constitutional amendment, but maybe all online casino gaming because uh, of this 1895 ruling. And I make fun of the wire act of 1961, which is old as me. Hell 1895. And even the, the attorney who mentioned it said, look, that's an anomaly. Everyone knows how stupid it is to think that poker is not a game of skill, uh, but that wasn't a side in this case. So for those in uh, New York or uh, people who love people or in New York, we love poker. <laughs> yeah, that one's not happening anytime soon. Yeah. For, you know, now I now I have a, a goal, a motivation. The next podcast I start, my co-host will have been born in 1895. That's, that's <laughs> exactly. my goal. That's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> All right. Our final story this week is one that hits home for me uh, as the online poker site that I use and one of a small handful of online sports books I use, uh, Poker Stars and Foxbet, respectively, crashed hard last weekend. Starting midday Friday, the sites and apps gave users an unscheduled maintenance message, and the outage lasted the rest of Friday, all of Saturday, all of Sunday, until around 6 p.m. Monday in some states, and it wasn't restored fully in all states until later in the day Tuesday. Uh, PokerStars is available in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and it's one of just two or three online poker options in each of those states. And Foxbet is available in the same states plus Colorado. Uh, I spoke to a representative of PokerStars on Monday. They insisted it was not a data breach or a hack. All accounts were safe. Money could be withdrawn even during the outage, but they wouldn't say what the problem was. They were just saying what it wasn't. Um, there's no good time for an outage of more than three days. And as the Poker Stars rep said, at least it wasn't Super Bowl weekend, but still they missed the big Sunday poker tournaments and missed three or four days of pre-Super Bowl betting. Not to mention all the people who wanted to bet the Pro Bowl and had to go to another site to do so. Uh, John, what's your reaction to a multi-day site crash happening almost four years into the post-PASPA era? And do you think three or four days is enough time to drive a significant number of customers to a competitor? Well, you know, I'm talking to subscribers who also are high-ranking executives at gaming companies to this podcast. First, thanks for listening. And second, be aware that if your company has not had any of these still rising number of brownouts and blackouts and all kinds of glitches, that means you have key tech people who you may not be properly appreciating. Now, only a couple of them may be all that guarantees you freedom from such debacles. So are you showing them the proper amount of love, not only in the company newsletter, but maybe in their wallet? If not, you might want to think about it because uh, I can think of quite a few operators who could use a cert certain sort of expert. So right. a little little uh, shout out to the, uh, you know, unrecognized tech people who are really good at this and who avoid it for their companies. Now, can three or four days lead to a customer jumping ship? I mean, there's probably like a scientific ratio or an algorithm where the number of years of satisfaction is divided by the days of outage. And there's a magical fault line where those on one side stay and those on the other side stray. Long way of saying, I, I think it depends. Okay. Um, 
I don't quite understand the secrecy regarding what the technical problem was, um, unless it was like one person's fault and they all agreed not to throw <laughs> that person under the bus. That's about the only thing that makes sense why they won't tell us anything. Um, but still, this is a crazy long time for a site to be mm. down. You know, anything over an hour or two is pretty shocking and, and threatens at least to turn off customers. Um, for me personally, I'm not a Sunday tournament player, so that's a non-issue. I like the PokerStars software and game selection better than the other options. So I'm continuing to play there, but it's maybe a two strikes and you're out situation. You know, if it happens again, I'd have to at least consider taking my money off the site and moving to one of the others with Sportsbook. It's less of a big deal. If I, if I can't access Fox bet for a few days and I have other accounts, I can get my bets in there. But I guess if you are a one account better and Fox bet was that one account, you might've taken your business elsewhere last weekend. Um, that said, you know, from a sports betting perspective, this was far and away the best weekend of the NFL season for this to happen to them. They got really lucky, you know, a, a week earlier or especially a week later, and they're taking a big hit uh, Pro Bowl weekend. Uh, that is the best time between September and February for this to happen. Um, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd be on high alert on any site in any state for a Super Bowl crash because uh, we've seen it happen the past couple of years. Mm. The volume gets so high that things can move slowly or shut down entirely. Um, it would be great if everyone gets it right this year, but I'd say that's a plus money underdog. I, I think chances are at least one of the sites is going to have some problems on Sunday. And again, there are tech people sitting there going, yeah, but it won't happen to us because I'm here. I know <laughs> right. what I'm doing. And when you mentioned, like, why don't they tell us what the problem was? Do they know what the problem was? I don't know. They might know by now, but they might not have known on Monday. That's that could also be it, that the reason that they're <laughs> being coy <laughs> is because they didn't know either. <laughs> but as as for those uh, tech tech support folks that you're uh, advocating for, um, I, I, I can see through this plan, John. I know what you're doing. You're if, <laughs> if these guys get a bonus from their employers, you're angling for a small cut of it. So uh, get, yeah. if, you wanna, if, if you find John on Twitter, uh, he'll, he'll give you his direct address if you want to cut him a check. Yeah, I don't think my PayPal account is active. I got to get that going, or or one of the other, one of those other, those other pay sources. Ven, I got to find one. Venmo is another. Option. Venmo, yeah, yeah, one okay, of those. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Two weeks ago, we had Adam Small on the podcast and talked about him becoming only the second guest to join the Gamble On Five Timers Club. And a gentleman by the name of Dan Bach took that as a challenge and a threat and perhaps even a bit of an insult. So <laughs> joining us now to pad his lead as the highest volume Gamble On guest of all time and to give his thoughts on the Super Bowl 56 betting action is the Senior VP of Operations for Roto Grinders and Scores and Odds, Dan Bach. Dan, welcome once again to the podcast. I'm so excited to get the invite because you're darn right. I'm not going to let Adam pass me by <laughs> this, uh, this role that I have of most appearances here on the show, but always enjoy it. Uh, love listening to what you guys do. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to have you on once again. And uh, we're definitely going to want to get your thoughts on Super Bowl props today, but we might as well start with the big traditional markets and find out how you see this game. The Rams are bouncing between a four point and four and a half point favorite money lines of minus 188 on the Rams and plus 170 on the Bengals over under seems to be holding steady at 48 and a half. 
Is there one side among those six that you feel particularly strongly about? Yeah, I feel pretty good about the Rams winning this game. And I think giving that four and a half points is is okay to do here in this situation. Not it's been a while since we've actually had a team lose the game but end up covering. So uh not very often do we kind of see that play out. And I think we gotta remember that this game probably wouldn't have taken place where the Bengals wouldn't be in this game if not for what happened at the end of that first half in that Chiefs game where they got down to the goal line and they could not score a touchdown and just completely blew it. If they score a touchdown there, they also get the ball back to start the second half. And that game is over. So you're talking about one play, I think, that swung so much and they were dominated during that first half. So I think the Bengals, uh, they're riding a wave of, of momentum and excitement, but I just don't think it's a great matchup for them statistically looking at what a team like the Rams does very well and what they don't do well. So uh, I'm heavy on the Rams in this game, uh, both uh, money line and uh, laying the points. If I may play devil's advocate on your Bengals uh, swung sure. it with one play point, which is a very valid point. I forget who the play, defensive player for the 49ers was, but the one who had an easy interception in his hands, if he holds on to that late in the game, the Rams aren't here either. So any pause uh, just in terms of the Rams are not exactly running away with these games on their side either. Well, here's the difference. And this is where I, I view it as like, yeah, that was a close game. Most NFL games come down to one or two plays deciding the whole thing. But the fact of the matter is that would have been like a 20 uh, what 28 point lead, I believe at that point in time, if they would have ended up scoring a touchdown um, or three touchdown lead. So it would have been a blowout. It would have been a one-sided affair. And, you know, that one play swung momentum towards the second half. Obviously there's some other things that, that took place as well, but there's no doubt in my mind that that outcome is very different based on that, that one play. And when I say very different, it's probably like, they lose by three touchdowns in that game versus coming back and winning. So uh, that's kind of how I'm handicapping it in terms of how good these teams are. Uh, no doubt, like the Rams, you got to have some luck along the way. And, and we saw it in that game um, against uh, against the 49ers. But I just feel from top to bottom, they just have the, the much more well-rounded team. And kudos to them. They went out and made trades and made moves to bolster their team for this moment. And I think it's going to pay off this weekend. You know, Dan, I was thinking about the ideal uh, Super Bowl matchup, and it's probably Cowboys against somebody. And I was thinking Steelers uh, is the big national one. Um, then it occurred to me Jets after more than 50 years, New York market. Um, that would be kind of intriguing. Uh, so this is when we have the Rams as a big market. And like you said, they have some big name stars they acquired and, and had before the season. And then uh, the Bengals have Joe Burrow, who's got a little Joe Namath feel to him, uh, as Namath himself says. So I'd say this is a good matchup, but... You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot lately. Like, does it even matter? Is the NFL so foolproof that it doesn't matter who plays in the game, uh, either from a TV watching standpoint or a betting standpoint? I mean, what about, you know, uh, Jaguars, Panthers? Is that going to be a problem in terms of viewership or betting levels? Or it does not matter. Just two teams are in there and everybody's all in. I don't think the viewership and betting handle is mutually exclusive here. And I'll tell you why, because I think this year in particular, we're going to see the most bets ever handled for a Super Bowl. And it just has to do with the expansion of regulated gambling. Uh, there are, yes, a lot of people bet on the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong, but there are hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people now 
who have the ability to easily make a bet on their cell phone that they would have never done elsewhere because they weren't going to bet with a bookie. They weren't going to go through the hassles of betting offshore, but they can get their Caesars, their FanDuel, their DraftKings app, and they can make a bet on the game at their party. It's not a big deal. I think the handle is going to be absolutely outrageous when all the numbers come in for this game and having a state like New York, having it fully available to them. I mean, the handle that they're driving now is, is bananas. So I think this will be the most bet game we ever see um, or we have ever seen in the Super Bowl. But I don't think the viewership is going to be that massive. And I think it just basically boils down to this world that we live in today where there's just so many things for people to consume from an entertainment side of things. Yes, it's going to be the most watched show of the year like it is. Is it going to be the highest rated one? Probably not. I mean, we saw some some struggles in, in some other sports uh, as well. I think the college football final might have been down as well. So um, I think that viewership, it's just the nature of the world we live in today where everything is streamed and, you know, especially the younger generation might not to be into sports as much as uh, they were back in the day. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's down, but I'm fully convinced this is going to be the most bet Super Bowl ever. Does the NFL have more of a safety cushion though than the NBA? Obviously if they've got LeBron James, they got Steph Curry, you know, they've got an iconic franchise or what have you. um, Their ratings are going to be definitely better. Whereas the NFL, it seems like, any two teams people will watch you're right there's more things to do and maybe you're yeah. not gonna get the numbers you had 20 years ago but they seem like they have more of a cushion than say the nba does oh no doubt I mean, it's, it's mainly because like the super bowl is its own event it's its own holiday i mean that's why you know we give the day off <laughs> after the super bowl as as a holiday for people because we know everyone's going out having a good time staying up late and it's become its own thing in culture where Nobody sits down and has an NBA finals viewing party. You know, nobody comes down and, and has a major league baseball <laughs> world series viewing party. Everybody is watching the Super Bowl in some capacity or more than likely people are. So, you know, when I say like, yeah, the numbers are going to be down, you're right. Like it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because the, the NFL, this is their day. It's an institution and it probably will remain that way. Uh, you know, through eternity, I can't really imagine anything changing, you know, the Super Bowl from being, you know, at the at the level that it is. And it's probably just I don't say it's going to grow, but it's always going to be just this big standalone holiday on its own. It's the only sport that you can really say has that. Well, when we had uh, Johnny Avello from DraftKings on last week, and he said the same thing as you about the betting volume he expects here, that this will be the biggest bet single sporting event uh, in, in history. And he also uh, said that he expects it to be the most same game parlayed game in history. Um, you know, if ever there's a time to play around with same game parlays, it's on the Super Bowl when you don't have multiple games available to parlay. I'm curious, have you jumped aboard the SGP train? And uh, if so, do you have one you've placed or plan to place on this game that you're feeling particularly sharp about? You know, I'm not a big same game parlay guy, um, mainly because uh, I like to have like, you know, plus EV bets when I make them because <laughs> right. the the reason that par- parlays are, are popular is because, you know, you bet a little and you win a lot, but you also don't win that often. And Um, you know, there's certain people who are good at it and there's obviously a lot of correlation that you can look at. And that's the key when you're building a a same game parlays, you, uh, the same way when you build a a daily fantasy lineup where you're trying to beat a hundred thousand other entries, 
you got to almost tell a story with your entry. Like, what do we think is going to happen here? Is it going to be a low scoring game? Well, then maybe I'll take, you know, the under on a bunch of these different uh, props. Is it going to be a high scoring game? And if that's the case, then you can go over with quarterbacks and wide receivers uh, and, and, and get more, you know, uh, plus money, you know, touchdown props. So it's all about the strategy that you want to build. But the big warning here is just know, like, you're going to lose way more than you win on these things. For a thing like the Super Bowl, you want to have some fun, you know, no, no problem at all playing same game parlays. But as somebody who likes to find, like, the best spots, you know, when I, when I gamble, it's not something that I particularly uh, play a lot of. Okay. So if you are going to be betting some player props, it's individual props, not trying to chain them together for a big payout. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it, it all kind of depends on how correlated, you know, these props are that you want to bet. If they are, then yes, you can do that. But you got to remember too, the way these apps are set up too, it, it's not just like a straight parlay, you know, they're, the juice is, to, it, it is added when these bets do become correlated. So, you know, it gets a little bit tricky there as well. I mean, for me and this game in particular, it's just a million different things for us to bet um, that, you know, you don't need to go down that, that same game parlay world. And uh, I think it's, it's all about like extracting the greatest value you can. And, you know, one of my favorite bets that I love this week is um, and it's, it's a minus money bet. So I know like, you know, the, 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 the gamblers are going to hate this because, <laughs> Oh, I don't want to lay two to one, but I mean, right now it's minus 225 that the Rams are going to have more sacks than the Bengals. And, you know, the Bengals allowed the third most sacks in the league this year. You had the Rams with the third most sacks in the league this year. And a lot of those games happened without Von Miller. And then you throw Jalen Ramsey out on Jamar Chase. And I don't think it's going to be a similar situation like we saw in Kansas City, where the Chiefs couldn't necessarily bring the pressure they wanted to because they were sliding so much coverage to make sure Chase didn't bomb them again for, for 205 <laughs> or whatever he did that game prior. So uh, I just think this sets up so well for their defense, especially because the real Achilles heel is that offensive line there of, uh, of the Bengals. So even though I'm going to lay minus 225, I think it's a really strong bet that we see uh, the Rams with more sacks than the Bengals. You know, Dan, I think I have found it a couple of years ago, the perfect prop bet for the Super Bowl, which is over two and a half players throw a pass because you start out, each quarterback obviously throws a pass. So you start out with two, all you need is one. So you can win the bet in the first quarter easily. There's a fake punt or a, a gimmick play or, or an injury or whatever, and it's over. But you can't lose it in the first three quarters. You can't lose it in the first three and a half quarters. In fact, like even the, the longer shot, obviously, is will there be a safety? Probably not. And with five minutes left, you might still think you have a shot. But then it's near midfield, and maybe the game's not that close. And at five minutes left, you're there's no way as a safety. You're out. But the – the uh, the third player could happen anytime. There was, like I said, there's suddenly an injury. Not that you want to root for it, but if you have money on it, who knows what you do? Uh, and then, so is that is that the perfect uh, uh, Super Bowl prop? And any others that you think are kind of fun that way? Doesn't even matter who the teams are. Like you're picking the sack thing based on the actual personnel. But the one I'm looking at is just fun to do, no matter what. Oh yeah, I mean that's extracting the most sweat equity you can on your bet is 
always a plus EV situation for the Super Bowl because you want to you want to be into it as long as you can, especially if you don't really care about either of these two teams. But I'm going to go one further and I'm going to get my sweat started earlier in the day. And I love these cross sport props where you can take um, uh, different uh, bets or props from the NBA game that starts at two o'clock versus another prop that is going to be taking place in the Super Bowl. So I found one that I like for you guys that uh, I think is good. And it's kind of like that where you're going to you're going to have an all day sweat here. And it's Trey Young, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown total points versus Jamar Chase total yards. And I'm taking the hoopsters against the wide receiver in this one because you can cheer for all the points, all the scoring at two o'clock. And then you know what that number you got to hit is. And heck, you could probably even hedge it out a little bit if you wanted to in this situation. But with Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase, I, I actually kind of, uh, I don't want to say simmed it out, but I went back and, and looked back historically. And these head-to-head matchups between Boston and Atlanta, the average points per game was 77 points for those three players. And if you go through Jamar Chase's game logs, that 77 would have either uh, pushed or won in 12 of the 17 games that he's played. So, yes, he's had some really big games, but he's had a lot that kind of fall under uh, that average. So, for me, I think that's a fun one that you can, you know, get the the party started super early there at 2 o'clock. I caught that one on DraftKings <laughs> if anybody wants to tail it. Yeah, that 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 is a fun one, and uh, it, I I bet a T Higgins over specifically because I'm figuring Jamar Chase might might be going toward the under direction with Ramsey covering him. So those all kind of line up. Uh, now now I'm starting to even dream about a uh, multi-game same game parlay or same game parlay plus or whatever. Basically, your bet, but also throw in the T Higgins over and uh, give myself one extra uh, avenue to lose uh, lose the bet basically. I love it. I love it. You're, uh, you're, you're, I'm getting your juices flowing for the Super Bowl betting bonanza that's going to take place. This is right. great. <laughs> so what, one last thing before we let you go, I'm curious because uh, you are uh, currently living in the state of Florida, uh, but getting ready to move soon to the state of Tennessee. So heading to a state where all this stuff is going to be uh, legal right at your fingertips. Uh, I'm curious for your reflections on those uh, that's just over a month that you had in Florida where the betting was available and legal. Uh, how, how frustrating was it uh, that it came and went so quickly and you only had the one option and uh, how excited are you to be heading to Tennessee from a sports betting perspective? Yeah, it's funny because I wasn't that frustrated because I knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm plugged in enough to know the politics, know the laws and, you know, read your guys's stuff to kind of tell me what's going to happen before it really does. Um, but for the millions of other people here who were probably betting and then suddenly hadn't it yanked away, uh, they were probably confused out of their mind. Like, how can it be here one day and not the next? Now, the one thing I will say is at least the Seminoles didn't really promote it. Like there was no advertising, there was no customer acquisition going on. So they never really, you know, opened up the funnel to try and bring, you know, massive number of people in probably because they knew what was coming. Um, but I will say it was a glorious month when it was there. And, uh, you know, obviously we want competitive sports bet- betting markets. It's better for the consumer uh, to have numerous options. Uh, I-, I will give the Seminoles a little credit that, you know, in the month that they were there, 
the prices were reasonable. There wasn't gouging on. It wasn't a situation where they were, you know, juicing everything up, knowing this was the only regulated book to go to. Uh, so for that, I'll give them, you know, uh, bonus points. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't think we're going to see anything here in Florida anytime soon after these uh, constitutional amendments trying to get on the uh, trying to get on the ballot, you know, failed. And it looks like this lawsuit's probably going to go on for at least 12 more months. Um, it's really refreshing to go to Tennessee because every time I go, you know, that's the wonderful thing. You cross the border and you suddenly can, can do it. And I'm, I am actually having an, an absolute blast with it. And, uh, and it's, it's funny because, you know, Tennessee was a state that everybody was kind of up in arms and being like, oh, they got this 10% hold. Can you believe this? And I think it's going all right. I don't think that the sky fell. I don't think that every state followed that direction. And, you know, you can ask yourself, what's worse, the 10% hold or the 50% tax rate in New York? I think most people would probably say the, the tax rate in New York. But overall, I think uh, most people are pretty happy with how things uh, have, have ended up in Tennessee. And, and I'm excited to try it out. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, it was great uh, having you on the podcast once again, Dan. And uh, thank you for your Super Bowl insights and uh, good luck with your wagers. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our final NFL picks of the season shortly. But first, let's update our betting bankroll where the freezing cold streak continues. Uh, John, we are colder than a snowman sliding down a luge track in Beijing. Uh, We each made one futures bet last week, so those haven't lost yet. Uh, But uh, your golf bets and my boxing bet came up empty. You had Maverick McNeely top 20, and he finished 33rd. And you had Mito Pereira top 20 and to win outright, and he missed the cut. Uh, my boxing bet was more in the McNeely range than the Pereira range, as I had plus 260 underdog Carlos Quadras to win, and he lost a competitive but ultimately clear-cut unanimous decision. All told, those four bets cost us $270, which means we have fallen to $3,006 below where we started. We might have to take out a loan from Adam Small soon if we don't turn this around. Uh, we have $755 on hold in futures bets, So that leaves us with a paltry $6,239 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Well, as of 24 hours ago, I was thinking of my uh, futures bet. Has the U.S. even won a Winter Olympics gold medal yet? But <laughs> I saw a couple of headlines. I think we have a couple. So a couple, yeah. uh, we can wait to set that money on fire in the next week or two, though, <laughs> I am afraid. But uh, anyway, let's try golf again. Why not? It's the Phoenix Open this week. It's the biggest fraternity party in golf. And this is what a lot of multi-sports fans who don't quite get into golf wish the tour was like every week, frankly. Uh, big time party. 16th hole is absolutely insane. You get tens of thousands of people on one hole and they go thumbs up and thumbs down like uh, Romans at the Coliseum. It's uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> First, I'm predicting that John Rahm wins five times this year. Not quite Tiger Woods-like, but really, really impressive. And he wins at least one major. And this is going to be one of the wins he has for the Spaniard who went to Arizona State. Uh, his finishes here are 16th, 11th, 10th, 9th, and 13th. And that dates back to his amateur days and before he jumped to the top of the heap. So I found a nice plus 750 price on BetMGM, not plus 600 like elsewhere. Hmm. So 50 on Rum at plus 750 to win, 50 on him more to uh, plus 750.
plus 130 to finish top five. And throw me 50 on a well-rested Louis Oosthuizen for top 20 at plus 140. Okay. Um, so I'm going to use more than my allotted amount of time and more than my allotted share of the bankroll uh, for my first bet this week because I have five, count them, five Super Bowl props that I like uh, in addition to the Bengals' longest field goal prop that I bet last week. So I'm betting all five. I'll try to keep the explanations of each brief. Uh, and feel free to interrupt me along the way, John, if you hate any of these. I, I think I think with me making five bets, I ought to give you the right to veto one uh, possibly, if if, okay. if you uh, feel strongly about any of these. So here we go. Uh, first, T. Higgins over 68 and a half receiving yards. It's priced at minus 120. We discussed the reasoning with Dan Bach. Uh, I'm thinking we'll bet $60 to win 50 on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, priced at a standard minus 110. Joe Burrow under 11 and a half rushing yards. Now, this prop got inflated by his outlier 25-yard game against the Chiefs. But over the course of the season, he exceeded 11 rushing yards just three times in 20 games, counting the playoffs. Even if he gets to 12, 13, 14, remember, you're still alive if the Bengals happen to be kneeling at the end. So uh, $55 to win 50 on the under there. Uh, Next, I enjoy these jersey number of the first touchdown score props. Uh, The line this year is set at 23 and a half with minus 140 juice on the under but I will pay that juice. Uh, I break this down further in a staff prop picks article that we'll publish later today on sports handle, but the short version under 23 and a half gives us both Burrow and Stafford cup chase Beckham and acres, not all of the likely candidates to score, but most of them. So I say let's bet $70 to win 50 on under 23 and a half. Uh, Next one. I like the Dan box special, the Rams to have more sacks than the Bengals. I think it's worth it at, even that minus 225 price for all the reasons he gave. It's time to find out if Dan is as cold as we are. Uh, let's bet $90 <laughs> to win 40 on that one. And uh, lastly, one of the weird cross sport prop bets. Uh, it's Jason Tatum made threes versus Rams touchdowns with Tatum getting plus 160 juice. Uh, the Rams average three touchdowns a game this year. That's their standard. I think that's the expectation here. Could be two, could be four, but three is the expectation. Tatum in his last nine games, he has 34 made threes, which is a little under four per game, although that is skewed by a couple of big performances. I think the price is fair here. He's a plus 160 dog, but it's a fun sweat. You watch the Celtics and Hawks earlier in the day and root for him Mm -hmm. to make at least three. And if he gets to five or six, you're pretty much golden. Anywhere in that two to four range, you have a nice sweat throughout the Super Bowl. So Mm -hmm. uh, this one, we're betting $50 to win $80. What do you think, John? Let all five bets ride, or is there there one you hate among those? Let's let them ride. I I clearly have no idea what uh, what I'm doing (laughs) in gambling. So remember that uh, our our former ESPN guest, uh, David Burdum, uh, has his uh, little official motto, I am not good at gambling. And uh, I think we may have to put those on Twitter we used to be too. we used to be good at gambling. I don't know what happened good. to us. I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll take another pick here. Um, yep. I really like what I saw from the Auburn men's basketball team in an overtime loss to Arkansas on Tuesday. It's their second extra time loss this year, so the Tigers remain unbeaten in regulation. And after winning 19 straight, this was the perfect time for sort of an ego straightening defeat ahead of the SEC tournament and then uh, March Madness, obviously. So give me 25 on Auburn at plus 800 to win it all. Oh, all right. I wasn't sure if you were going uh, 
to pick against them in an upcoming specific game. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought that's where that was headed. But okay, twenty five on Auburn at plus eight hundred for the title. Okay. No, I, I love I love really good basketball teams losing right. I mean, this isn't right before, but right. losing in February or late February, even better, because, uh, you know, if things are going too well and then all of a sudden you run into a hot team, make some three pointers in the tournament and, you know, you're supposed to win the game and the season will be a disaster if you lose. And it, the pressure is too much. I like to see that loss that gets them, you know, I mean, uh, young kids are, you know, kind of uh confident at borderline cocky and this kind of wakes them up like listen you can get beat you can get beat by a good team and they're going to be good teams in march madness so uh at least we gotta we gotta sweat there too okay cool um so i'll be much more brief with my second bet than i was with my first bet or my first five bets uh this week uh boxing in england uh new york's daniel jacobs hits the road to take on john Ryder. uh jacobs is a minus 160 favorite I think he should be at least a minus 200 favorite, maybe even minus 300. He's an aging but still elite boxer who only loses to the very best. Ryder is improved, but still not on Jacobs' level. So let's bet $80 to win $50 on Daniel Jacobs. And we finish the show with our picks against the spread on the Super Bowl. I'm eight and four so far in the postseason. John is seven and five, and he needs this one to finish above 500 for the season (laughs) overall. Whereas I'm aiming to be able to brag that after my mostly horrid season, I finished 20 and eight from week 16 onward would be a a nice silver lining to an otherwise disastrous season. Um, The current line at the Superbook is Rams minus four and a half. So that's what we're working with. And I'll pick first. And I've been of one mind on this game all along. Um, I'm not buying what the Rams are selling. I, I believe in the Bengals. The Rams just never seem to put together four good quarters and I've been gradually losing faith in Sean McVay. Um, I realize that I'm going along with the square money, um, but I think the Bengals actually win outright, so I don't hesitate to take them with the four and a half points. Uh, I don't think the game will be an easy win. They're not going to dominate uh, with their offensive line against that Rams defensive front. Uh, it's not It's not an easy win, but I think they'll get it done. Maybe even one of those Evan McPherson game winners at the whistle, but definitely give me the Bengals plus four and a half. All right. Well, congratulations. You won the uh, postseason uh, gamble on uh, <laughs> uh, betting pool because uh, I, too, am going with the Bengals at plus four and a half. But, you know, mainly my best friend is a lifelong Bengals fan. And I spent three straight playoff weekends watching with him at, of course, the same sports bar each week. Right. Three nail biters and as someone who spent his life a little too deep inside the fishbowl. It was generally fun to watch a fun sweat like that. I mean, well, fun for me. It wasn't fun for him, but uh, (laughs) my pal doesn't gamble. So, but just to see that so up close and personal, was really something. uh, And bonus points, by the way, he's flying from Newark airport to Los Angeles to see the game in person on Sunday, which will cost him a fortune for the weekend, but he can afford it. So why not? Uh, As far as any logistical reason, I was pleasantly shocked at how well the Bengals adjusted in the second half against the Chiefs. Now they have two weeks to prepare for the brutal Rams defensive line against their, well, also brutal offensive line themselves. But I think the matchup is so extreme that the Bengals will have a game plan ready to attack it. All right. I'm glad that we're on the same side here and get to be rooting the same way. That's a good way to end the season. Yeah. Uh, although, unfortunately, uh, Dan Bach is not, is not aligned with us uh, in his yeah. rooting interest here. But, all right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, the just mentioned Dan Bach. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
Well, we've waited all year, and finally the big game is here. Yes, of course, I'm talking about the Puppy Bowl. Uh, this year hosted by Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg, because why wouldn't it be, right? Um, our, our colleague Jeremy Balin has an article up today on our Sports Handle site uh, about where he dug deep and found out which Colorado operator tried to get approval for wagers on the pups. They were denied, alas, no doubt in part because the event already transpired in an obscure upstate New York site. And no, I'm not kidding. Uh, and as far as actual competition, the event is a fail on that specific front, except that it brings me back to a half century old memory of electric football. <laughs> on paper, what could be better than a simulated football field and a loud vibrating sound that would frighten, well, puppies and annoy parents? You could each set your 11-man lineups, that is, cheap little plastic figures, and the linemen were e easily distinguishable from the receivers and defensive backs who all had their arms extended. Then you started the vibrating, and, well, those extended arms produced all sorts of elaborate spinning dances among the players, like we were seeing in the pairs figure skating in the Winter Olympics. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, not at all. But frustration, too, can be the mother of invention. And I developed sort of a flying wedge with the ball carrier completely walled in by his 10 teammates and hopes he moved more forward than sideways. So, of course, the dancing pair is quickly formed, but the linemen were a bit more cooperative, at least, you know. Still, if any of us ever scored a damn touchdown, I don't recall it now, but if I remember the game all these years later, it's still a win, I think. Now, the Puppy Bowl has similarly uncooperative performers, but of course, compared to cheap plastic players, they're utterly adorable. And lots of people enjoy the hijinks so much they adopt puppies. So that's why Puppy Bowl, of course, is a winner for everybody. Uh, and for gosh sakes, don't wager on it, even if some unscrupulous illegal offshore operator tries to lure you in. And with that, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>